Well, hello there, everyone, and welcome to the Titanic Museum Attraction Podcast. I'm Officer Lucas, and today we have the head curator here at the museum with us, Mr. Paul Burns. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you, Lucas. Good, good. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast today. Look forward to it. Thank you. So um, to start out, uh, how long have you been with the company? Let's start kind of with the history of, uh, of you being with the company and knowing John. Sure. Well, I've actually been with the company for probably 20 years now. Uh, that's when I started with John Jocelyn. Uh, and we formed several companies to get to where we are today. Uh, and we uh, first ran his museum in Orlando, Florida. And we st- started developing um, our artifact and archive department at that time. We started building up artifacts so that we could display them. Uh, in anticipation of opening up several locations, Branson, Missouri being one of them, in 2006. Okay, okay. So you've been with John for 20 years, roughly? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, And then you helped start the Branson location. That's and, correct. And yes. every other location yes, since then. Yes, sir. Yes. yes, sir. Okay. Okay, so what is it like to be the Titanic Museum attraction curator? So were you a curator before John as well? Uh, well, I, I don't think of myself as a curator per se. I okay. think of myself more of as a collections manager. Okay. Uh, when, I, when I hear curator, I hear uh, uh, someone in the back of the room um, uh, working on, a, on an instrument or working on a piece of paper or, or making something better or try to bring it back to life from mm-hmm. an old age. So I think of myself more of a collections manager, but the curator is probably the correct term so that you know <laughs> what I do in the museum. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I really do think of myself as a collections manager. And, yes, I had done prior experience prior to my time with John. Prior experience. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, what is it like to be the, um, what did you say, artifact manager? Well, we'll, we'll say curator. Curator. We'll, curator. <laughs> we'll go so, with that. What is it like to be the curator with the Titanic Museum? Well, it, it's exciting. And the, the most exciting part is my job is really different every day. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my, my tasks and my projects take me on different turns each and every day and I get to meet some fantastic people that's probably the best part of the job I get to travel and yeah. meet a lot of different people yeah yeah traveling meeting people and seeing really cool artifacts as that's well that's correct yes, and, that's uh, correct. and um, you not only put up the displays in the museums and you know work with artifacts but you get to find these artifacts in a sense kind of in a sense, I have a great deal of help finding these artifacts. We, we have a, uh, a broad range of, of collectors and historians that, I, that I'm privileged to work with. Uh, these gentlemen and ladies uh, assist us greatly uh, in finding the artifacts. And uh, it certainly makes my job easier to have this, uh, what I would call a network of, of collectors and historians that we can go to, yeah. uh, verify, uh, authenticate, and uh, eventually put these items on display. Yeah, yeah, and, and share it for the whoever comes into the museums, Absolutely. you know, entire yeah, world that's, sometimes. That's, that's, uh, that's a key, key ingredient yeah, to this whole, yeah. whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um, you know, I've worked for the museum for about, I rounded up to two years now, and the artifacts that I've seen in the museum have just been incredible, and every time you go to the museum, you know, we always try to pick your brain and try to get as much information as possible. Um, and, you know, I always tell guests that, come to the museum that every uh, artifact in this museum has a story and the story isn't that we just went down and got it because a lot of people that come into the museum they think that these artifacts have been recovered from the ocean floor 
Well, that yeah, that, that's not a true statement. A true statement yeah. would be that uh, uh, all of our artifacts are made up of uh, post and pre-disaster. Yeah. Uh, we have nothing from the bottom of the ocean. Uh, that doesn't uh, demean the artifacts we have. We have phenomenal artifacts yeah. from life jackets to letters to keys uh, to personal objects that were carried off the vessel uh, by passenger and crew members. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I always tell these guests because, like I said, these guests come in. They are all like, oh, so why are these dishes so pristine? They've been at the bottom of the ocean for, you know, 107 years, whatever the case may be. And we have to explain to them that these aren't from the ocean floor. And I specifically tell them, I said, but that makes it more interesting because, this, like I said, the story isn't, oh, we just went down to the bottom of the ocean and grabbed it. You yeah. know, we actually, you know, there's a story to it with, with you, you know, finding out information about that artifact and the person who, you know, purchased that artifact or owns that artifact, whatever the case may be. Yeah, absolutely. There's always a great story, not only about the specific passenger or crew member that this particular item would be linked to, but the, the, the story of, of getting to it, uh, authenticating the item, finding out further information about an item. That's where our network of collectors and historians comes in very, very uh, important. Uh, we also work closely with uh, Henry Aldrich and Sons in Devizes UK. Uh, they are the leading auction house in uh, Titanic, White Star Line, and Maritime Cellars. So they, they really have a, a wealth of information and a, and a vast network of collectors that we, we were able to deal with. Yeah, and I think that's where the joy of your job comes in, would I feel oh, kind of right? absolutely. Yeah. I, like I said, I get to travel. Uh, I get to meet different people. Uh, I'm very lucky. Uh, I've been exposed to thousands and thousands of, of artifacts, uh, and I'm just talking Titanic yeah. here. I'm not talking about other genres. Uh, Titanic alone, I've probably been privy to thousands of artifacts. Uh, there are vast collections out there uh, that we've been able to tap into. Uh, we've even been able to uh, coax a few collectors that uh, have never uh, loaned items before to actually loan to us and, and make it uh, more special for, the, for our visitor. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think that's a truly uh, tremendous thing to be able to be a part of that, and that's, and that's really cool. And since you mentioned it, you know, talking about, um, you know, collectors that have artifacts that they necessarily don't want to share, uh, it's a good segue for what we're going to talk about. Fantastic, all right. <laughs> um, uh, so pretty much there is a special, a very, very special artifact coming to the museums uh, once again, once again. And that is the only instrument that was recovered from the Titanic, Wallace Hartley's violin. Um, a very special and extremely you know, rare artifact. And a lot of people ask us about the process in which the violin was found and kind of the story that followed. And you're, you're the man to, to talk about that with. Yes, so, yes. So, well, uh, it was, it was a, a long and very, very interesting saga. Um, we, we, uh, we first learned of the violin um, I believe it was back in 2006, 2007, mm -hmm. uh, through Henry Aldrich's son, Alan and Andrew Aldrich. Um, they had uh, indicated to me that uh, this possibly could be uh, the violin that was uh, played on board by, by Wallace Hartley yeah. and recovered from his body. Uh, they went about uh, a seven-year journey of authenticating uh, and wor look, working through the provenance, the chain of custody uh, on, the, on the artifact. We were then presented with all that information. Uh, we then consulted with a few of our, our collectors, um, uh, one in particular, Mr. Craig Sopin. Uh, we consulted with him directly. 
He was intimate uh, in the knowledge of the provenance on the violin. Um, and uh, at that time that we were talking the, about the violin early on, um, he's the one that uh, assisted me with the provenance and really uh, taught me a few lessons about provenance and how we trace provenance. And provenance begins when you are presented with an item. It's mm -hmm. not, you don't go back to 1912 or 1911 or 1900. Yeah. You start uh, the provenance from the point at which you uh, are granted possession of this item. Who was the last chain, person with the chain of custody? Okay. And you work backwards. So that, that assisted us in doing our, our own work uh, because, as I, as I indicated, the Aldriches uh, worked for nearly seven years to authenticate this item. Then we were presented with the, uh, all the authentication and the provenance materials. Uh, I then, myself, took three months of my life <laughs> looking at uh, and analyzing uh, this, th all the provenance materials, all the chain of custody materials. Uh, and during that three-month period, I consulted with folks like Craig Sopin and Stanley Lair and other historians and other collectors. And we also looked at every, every piece of the, of the provenance. We also branched out to all of our collectors, all of our historians, all the authors that we had, that we'd known at the time, and said to them, do you or do you not believe that this is the Hartley violin based on the provenance material that we've presented to you. Uh, and we've at, we asked them to tell us uh, if they did not believe, why they didn't believe. Mm -hmm. And I believe we came up with about 27 to 30 um, questions, if we will, or, or questions of how that they, they were suspect to why the violin may not be the violin. And that's how we conducted our research from then forward. Uh, this was after about the first month in. So for the next two months, we took, tackled all of those uh, nays, if you will, all the no's, mm -hmm. and we attacked, we attacked it that way. And we were able to specifically go to each of those uh, things um, and say that we were absolutely sure that, and this is why we believe it's the violin. Uh, I'll do one specifically. One specifically said that they, uh, they were not sure whether Mariah was, that even know knew Wallace Hartley, let alone be his fiance. Hmm. Well, when you clearly look at the at the uh, at the documents, at the chain of custody, at the provenance information, you clearly see that she was um, at his funeral. She was in the second car with his sister and her husband. Uh, she had presented a, a special rosary uh, with a photo and a card at the at the at the ceremony wow. of at his funeral, and uh, along with that. Um, there were items found with the violin that were clearly indicated to have been found on his body. Mm -hmm. There was uh, scissors, there was a cigarette case, uh, there was a letter, uh, among other items that were found with the violin. Um, and these items, uh, according to documentation going back to uh, the body recovery period, uh, were transferred to his father. Okay. So in order for this woman to have this possession of these items, she would have had to have a, a very good relationship, not yeah. only with Wallace Hartley, not only be his fiance, but also have a very, very, very good relationship with the father at the time yeah. for, in order for her to get the items that were actually sent back from, from Halifax to him, as these are your effects from the body. Yeah. So we knew that that totally linked her to him 
without without issue, without 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 problems. The other um, one of the other contentions was that um, uh, that this violin would not have survived the conditions of the water, mm -hmm. um, and um, I think we were quickly able to. Um, look at that on several different ways and, and the main way was knowing what this violin was recovered in. It was covered in a heavily, heavily um, protected uh, leather U.S. Army valise. Mm -hmm. um, the only way to describe this is it's a very heavy valise. It probably weighs about eight or ten pounds itself. Wow. It has brass clippings. It has a bra brass um, closure and it also interiorly has pockets with heavy leather uh, and inside this valise was also recovered um, music sheets and other materials of paper uh, clothing and all of this stuff survived all of these music sheets survived sheets they were with music. the violin oh my gosh. Uh, so we thought that 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 uh, this this valise also had a six foot strap with it so it would have allowed Wallace to wrap this thing a couple times around his body um, and it goes back to several news articles that his mother, interviews that his mother did in newspapers that said he uh, would have loved this, he loved this violin and would have done anything to protect the violin. Yeah. So you link that to, to the valise, the, what contained this violin at the time that it was recovered. Uh, you link it then to the, uh, the items that uh, directly linked to the family, directly linked to the recovery of his body. Um, and, and we started putting all the pieces together. And when you look at the broad stroke of, of provenance, and believe me when I say I'm a, I'm a lucky man, I've, I've been involved with thousands of Titanic artifacts, I can clearly say that there are, there are items that have, have better provenance, absolute ironclad provenance, but there's not a single item that I know of that has the breadth and the depth that this provenance has. And it from, comes from seven years plus our time investigating this violin. So we clearly believe it's, it was the violin. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. You know, that's awesome uh, and, and amazing that, that that was able to happen. And uh, wasn't there a uh, kind of a plaque at the bottom of the violin as well? That kind of been That's correct. It was an, an inscription saying, uh, you know, on the, uh, and I don't know it off the top of my head, I mm -hmm. apologize for that, but no. uh, it was something to the effect that uh, on the occasion of our uh, um, um, union engagement, engagement yeah. um, I, I present this to you. One of the other, and this, to me, this was the funniest uh, nay of all the, if there can be a funny in a story such as this, but <laughs> it was the funniest uh, nay that we got. And one of them was that that Wallace Hartley was the band leader on the grandest ship afloat, and there's no way he would have owned such an inexpensive, and he would have owned a Stradivarius yeah. and violins like that. So how he answered that question was, uh, we looked at uh, uh, the letter he wrote back to his family just prior mm -hmm. to... Uh, departure, and he talks about um, sending his laundry home. Yeah, this was a man of of thirty uh, to be thirty one before he perished, uh, still living at home, sending his laundry home to his mother. Uh, but the best part was, um, he also talked about uh, meeting all the all the all the chums, meeting all his fellow band members. Yeah, and uh, looking forward to playing on board, and looking forward to um, gratuities on board. Yeah, I can assure you that a man that uh, could afford a Stradivarius at that time 
and could afford great things uh, would not be talking about gratuities that he might be making on this voyage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, 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 that, that's, a, that's a very good point to make because, you know, these – and that's a good thing to mention because a lot of these people, uh, they either think they were a band like they were a band – you know, they weren't a band. They were mus- they were hired individually. They were struggling musicians. Company. Yeah, yes. if you are a musician, yes. Yes. you probably know this is struggle sometimes, yes. and so yes. uh, he wouldn't have the the best. Now, as probably. he indicates in his letters, he met the boys just days before the yeah. sailing. In yeah. many cases, yeah, and and being yeah. being an engagement gift, that violin it probably meant, it meant more something to him, to him. Yes. than yes. anybody yes. could ever imagine. Yeah, we, and we believe we would have had more than one violin on board with him, but that would have been yeah. the violin he would have protected. Yeah, it's it's. Funny you mention that because a lot of people, when they come into the museum, they say, uh, you know, oh, so this guy's playing the piano on deck? Because, <laughs> you, know, right. right. you know, in the museum, right. we have you know, on the display cases, we have certain instruments that show what they that were these playing. Gentlemen represented but, what they uh, played. But I, I mentioned, I'm like, well, you really think that they didn't bring an extra violin or something just in case something happened when the guys got sick, they need to sub in for them or something happened to their instrument. So they probably brought an extra violin or something yes. just in case something happened. Yeah. Uh, so Most so, of the band members were seasoned musicians, most. Yeah. And uh, most of them were, were familiar with shipping. And yeah. uh, so certainly they would have taken care to, to understand yeah. that process. Yeah. Well, uh, so the um, Titanic violin will be here in our Branson Museum February 8th through June 15th. And then it'll also be in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, our other location, July 1st through December 30th. So make sure you come out and see it because it is an amazing artifact to see. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Paul, thank you so much for doing this again. It is always a pleasure to be able to speak with you. Thank you so much. Lucas, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, here at the Titanic Museum Attractions in Branson, Missouri, in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, we consider it a privilege to honor the 2,208 passengers and crew members that were on board the Titanic that night. And we love sharing their stories and keeping their memories alive. So... Until we're back, Titaniac.